Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. Ed Hunt is having quite a vacation. He's still not back, and I'm hoping he's going to He's going to slide in right in there like next week. But I'm joined once again by uh, Brandon Bolin, who was filling in last week. Uh, we talked a lot of NFL stuff. And, and this week, we've got some college football topics. We're going to talk about some NFL players in their second years who will break out this year. We'll talk about a young NFL quarterback that you would choose for your NFL franchise. And who would you go with? And we'll talk about some college football coaches, being on the hot seat. But Brandon, before we get to all this football talk, let's talk about the NBA. The NBA Finals have just wrapped up. The Bucks versus the Suns. Uh, Milwaukee was down 2 to nothing early in the series, and it looked like Chris Paul was going to claim that first championship. But Giannis had a surprise for him, and, and the Bucks took four straight games to win their first NBA championship since what, like 1971? That's quite a feat for Giannis out there. No, I, I 100% agree with you. I think this performance by Giannis showed who he really was as a basketball player. At 26, his resume is, is out of this world at this point. He got league MVPs, defensive player of the years, now a finals win and a finals MVP. Uh, I, I don't know if there's ever been another player in the history of basketball to have such an impressive resume at the age 26. Do you think the Bucks' future is really bright? Do you think he'll – I'm sure he's going to win a few more MVP awards, but do you think he's going to win a, a couple of more championships before he's done? That one's tough just because I really think every year it's just based so much on what happens to the other teams in the finals or uh, throughout the playoff run. I don't think I can say he's not ever going to be in another finals game. He's only getting better. Every year he's, he's showing improvements on the offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, and you're keeping him and Chris Middleton for years to come. So I don't think there's any reason to say he's not going to be in the finals again, but you know, other teams are only getting better as time goes on. The Lakers are probably, you know, they have a chance to get a guy like Damian Lillard this offseason or the next. It needs to happen within the next couple of years, I think, if it's going to. Do you think it was an easier road for the Bucks in the playoffs this year and for Giannis in this case? Because the Nets didn't have James Harden, so it was an easier road. And once the Bucks got to the finals, they didn't face off against the Clippers. They didn't play against the Lakers. They faced off against the Suns. And nobody expected the Phoenix Suns to be in the finals as it is. So do you think it was just kind of one of those years that the Bucks kind of lucked out just because they didn't face that tough of, of a road to get there. I totally get what you're saying with that. But the thing is, you know, every year there's, it's, I think it's always a little bit of luck mixed with skill, you know? You can't ever determine when a team's going to get a star player injured, and you can't, you can't ever plan for that. So if, if every team's staying healthy, I can't see the Bucks being, being that championship team. Um, I can't see them running through a healthy, complete Lakers team. You know, I think the road was a little easier. I do want to give their sons, the Suns their credit, though. I don't think they were there by luck. Uh, I really do think Chris Paul helped to elevate everybody on that team, especially Devin Booker. They got hot when it mattered, and that's a really big thing in the, in the NBA. And so to say it was an easier road, I can agree with that, but 
I can't say it wasn't earned fully, you know? All right, let's turn our attention to college football. And every year, NFL teams are always looking for a hot new thing, whether that would be the hottest offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators, positional coaches, but they also like to look at the college ranks. And this year, we had Urban Meyer, who jumped from college to the NFL, even though he hasn't he hasn't been coaching college football for a couple of years, but you know, before that he was a coach with the Ohio State, with the Florida Gators. He had a lot of success. And it remains to be seen how Urban is going to do with the Jacksonville Jaguars. But it seems like the future is bright. He's got Trevor Lawrence as his number one overall pick. And uh, we'll see how it goes. And I'm sure next year teams are going to look at the college ranks once again at the successful head coaches to be their next NFL coach. So the question that we decided to play around with basically is who would be that next hot thing? Who would be that college football coach that NFL teams are going to look towards? And the two names that come to mind just because they've each accomplished quite a bit in their time in college football, Lincoln Riley, who is the head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners, and he's been mentioned with the Dallas Cowboys job a couple of times before, but decided to stay in Norman as it is. And another coach is Iowa State head coach, Matt Campbell. Both guys are really intriguing. Who would you choose? Would you go with Riley or would you go with Campbell? So personally, I think I'm going to have to go with uh, Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell this uh, this past offseason was offered an eight, eight-year contract by the Detroit Lions, but he turned it down. And the reason being, he said uh, he wanted he took the job because he wanted to do something, not be somebody. And I think that really just shows who he is as as a coach and as, as a person. You know, he he came to this organization and made a promise to build a culture, a winning culture, to you know take this team to where he wants to take them. And he thinks he still has uh, some steps to finish. And uh, a guy that's you know true to his word and, and will hold himself accountable um, to unfinished business. You just you have to respect that. Just took them to a nine and three record with a bull win. I think he's got an incredibly bright future ahead of him. And, you know, the, that school has five bowl game wins, and he already has two of them in the, in the time he's been there. So I think in the span that he's been able to turn this organization around and bring them to their highest point, uh, Matt Campbell is definitely my choice. I love Matt Campbell. I, I really do, and what he has done for the Iowa State Cyclones. When he came on board his first year, he was 3-9 and because Iowa State was basically – I mean, they were dead in the Big 12. Ever since then, he's led them to four straight winning seasons. He's led them to bowl games. He's been able to accomplish some great things with Brock Purdy as his quarterback the last couple of years. So I respect that. I mean, Matt Campbell knows how to get it done. He's able to take on a rebuilding project and just take it into the next big thing. But I'm going to go with Lincoln Riley, Brandon, just because... Look, the NFL, it's a quarterback's league. It's a passing league. And everything that Lincoln Riley has shown ever since he's been the head coach is that he's a quarterback whisperer. The things that he has done with, you know, Kyler Murray, the things that he's done with Baker Mayfield before, um, he did it with Jalen Hurts. Now he's doing it with Spencer Rattler. His system, his offensive system seems to work. 
He's able to put his quarterback in the best position to deliver the big plays, to be the man. And that's what you got to do in the NFL as well, because you got to have a QB friendly scheme. You got to have that passing attack. Again, that that's what it's all about. When you're a quarterback whisperer in college, you know NFL teams are going to keep knocking on your door because they, they believe that you can do the same in the NFL, that you could take a high draft pick and turn him into a star. And I'm not surprised that Lincoln Riley has had Jerry Jones, you know, picking up the phone and calling him a few times to kind of see where he's at. And I have no doubt that Riley would eventually move on. I mean, Oklahoma has been dominating the Big 12 ever since Riley took over. So he knows how to win. It's not just an offensive scheme. You know, Matt Campbell has done a great job rebuilding, but he hasn't won the Big 12. The Oklahoma Sooners win it every year. He's taken the Sooners to the college football playoff. What's next for him is he's got a perfect team this year with Rattler leading the way. I mean, he's got a chance to take this team to a championship, and I think that's what he wants. That's the next step. If he does that, then I think, you know, the NFL is, is going to be his his future, his next challenge, as they say. So, again, I love both head coaches, but I just think Riley has the edge because of the offensive scheme and because of his work with quarterbacks. I understand where you're coming from. Um, it, was, it was hard for me to not say Lincoln Riley because, like you said, his track record with quarterbacks is seriously, genuinely impressive. Um, the only reason I wanted to stay away from him was simply because I, I almost think there's a chance that if he comes to the NFL, he would be somewhat of a one-dimensional coach just because the defense is always holding you back and when the game really matters. Uh, you haven't been able to get to the you know real big one yet because that defense is holding you back. But you know in the NFL, there's a lot of one-sided coaches, offensive or defensive coaches. So uh, I think if he is in the right spot in the NFL, uh, he would be incredibly successful, at least offensively. Well, I think that's what you got to do. You got to bring in a very experienced defensive coordinator. That's it. And let him handle that side of the ball. I think that's what Riley has to do. Just kind of delegate, hire a good coaching staff and bring in experience, Uh, bring in a defensive coordinator that has NFL experience, maybe like a Wade Phillips or something like that. You know, a guy who's, who's been around forever. He's been a head coach. He's been a great defensive coordinator, and he's been able to to build some some great defenses out there. So it's all about delegation. It's all about hiring the right people. But it all starts with the quarterback in today's NFL. It's the most important position. We see the quarterbacks that just wind up winning this whole thing in the past like 10 years or getting into the playoffs. You need a playmaker, and Riley can get the most out of any quarterback out there. All right, let's stay with you know college football. Let's talk about head coaches that are currently on the hot seat. We know that Lincoln Riley and Matt Campbell aren't, but that doesn't mean that there aren't a few candidates that are are on the hot seat entering the season. So uh, give me a couple of candidates that you feel have the most pressure heading into the 2021 season. Oh, somebody that I feel has uh, some of the most pressure coming in, especially from the media, is going to be Jim Harbaugh. He's been at Michigan for, I believe, I want to say six years now. He's never beaten Ohio State once. If you're Michigan, you know how important beating Ohio State is. And to not do that in over over five years, it's, it's got to be heartbreaking to be a Michigan fan. Uh, you, have not, you haven't really gotten close to winning the division. I don't see 
any improvement coming from Michigan, and it's not due to lack of you know superstars coming in. But just this uh, last season, they were able to get five of the top 100 recruits. It's not lack of talent. You know, he's been there for enough time to you know build his culture, and it just it hasn't come to play. I completely agree. I mean, Jim Harbaugh is at the top of this list because he hasn't delivered. And a lot of people expected that he was going to go back home. Once he's home at Michigan, that he was going to bring him, well, at least win the Big Ten or lead them to the college football playoff. He hasn't even been close, man. I mean, last year he had his worst record. I think it was like two and four in a shortened season. He's just been kind of spiraling down. And I'm surprised that the Wolverines haven't, you know, pulled the plug already because usually, you know, these college presidents, these schools, they aren't most patient with coaches. Coach is usually the first one to go, but they've given him a lot of leeway. I guess they're going off of what he has accomplished in the past at Stanford. You know, with Andrew Luck, he was able to have a couple of 10-1 seasons with the San Francisco 49ers. He led them to the Super Bowl, even though they lost to the Baltimore Ravens, but he was there. He accomplished a lot in the NFL. The leash is getting shorter and shorter. And I thought he was going to get fired this offseason. He didn't. It makes me think that this is his last year to get his act together. And uh, we'll see. It, it's definitely a tough job because Ohio State has, you know, four or five-star recruits everywhere. And you're not going to beat the Buckeyes because Ryan Day is another coach that has a terrific offensive and defensive system. It's, it's tough to beat the Buckeyes. And that's what you got to do in order to – stay around anybody else out there that you feel is just not getting the job done Scott Frost for Nebraska uh, I, I really think this is a like a cultural issue as well Nebraska it's historically it's one of the most consistent schools and its track record is 12 and 20 you lost your best player in a transfer Wandell Robinson and th that just shows that there's something wrong with the culture you, you took over one of the most you know respected and talked about teams in college football and you kind of have ran them into the ground you know um a 12 and 20 record over the span he's been there it's just it's not nebraska football if your best players are transferring there's something wrong in the organization scott frost and harbaugh are both in win or get fired situations you know it's tough when you take over a program that has such a long history because the expectations are always through the roof Pete, the fan base expectations are a lot higher than they should be. I mean, Nebraska hasn't won much since like the mid-1990s when they were winning championships back then. It's been like 20 years. I mean, teams need to kind of snap out of it a little bit. I mean, the, the culture needs to change. And I thought that he was the right guy for the job because he played there. He knows that tradition. He played on those great teams in the 90s, but certainly hasn't been able to do it. And I think recruiting has a lot to do with it hasn't been able to get those top recruits. And in college football, that's what it comes down to. Uh, I'm going to go with a couple of Pac-12 coaches. Uh, I'm going to go with the guy from USC, Clay Helton. It seems like he's on the hot seat every year. And um, I realized that he led USC to the Pac-12 championship game last season, where they were embarrassed by Oregon, but he did lead them there. But every year, I feel like Clay Helton is a guy that just comes up short. He hasn't been able to win the Pac-12 title. USC also has unrealistic expectations because of what Pete Carroll was able to do there. You know, every coach that takes over, 
they're going to expect you to win 10 or 11 games every year. Clay Helton hasn't even come close to that. So I would say he is definitely on the hot seat. And another coach is right across the street, as I would say, in Pasadena. You know, it's UCLA Bruins. And I got to go with Chip Kelly. Just Chip Kelly had a lot of success with the Oregon Ducks back in the day. Winning those Pac-12 titles, you know, winning 10 or 11 games every year before he jumped ship to the NFL. Um, everybody expected him to come back to the college football world and just do what he was able to do at Oregon. But he hasn't been able to work his magic with the UCLA Bruins, and it's been a little surprising. And right now, I think he is, what, in his fourth year, I believe, at the program? And this is it, make or break season. I mean, you got to get into a bowl game. You got to win like eight or nine games or, or Chip Kelly is going to get shipped out of town. And that's what was kind of, again, surprising to me. It's almost like Harbaugh. The expectations are through the roof. You've got, you know, Chip Kelly has an exciting offensive system, but he hasn't been able to deliver. And the Pac-12 is still a conference that you can win at. This isn't the SEC. This isn't the Big Ten. You could still go up there and just compete, you know, with teams like Oregon and Washington and USC and, and get the job done. He has been middle of the pack, not getting the job done. So, and I want to throw out Herm Edwards name out there. And the only reason that I'm throwing Herm Edwards name out there is because there seems to be a scandal that kind of came into the public got to know a little bit about it. It seems like, um, you know, there were a few rules uh, broken uh, by Herm Edwards as well, and he's the Arizona State head coach. Some people believe that his days are numbered uh, with the Sun Devils. So there you go. I went with the three Pac-12 schools. Anybody else you want to mention? Uh, I think one person uh, is Justin Fuente, Virginia Tech's head coach. In the last 42 games, he it's just a subpar 21-21 record, and two out of three of the last seasons have been learning seasons. And the worst part of all is the defense is atrocious. We're allowing 32 points a game. I think it's as simple as this. If the defense doesn't get better, he's getting fired. Uh, you, you can't expect to be a winning team and give up 32 points a game. And uh, their record last year was the worst that, that they've had in you know uh, t- over 25 years. So uh, Virginia Tech just seems to be kind of going downhill. Like I said, you can't be giving up 32 points a game. Uh, the, defense, the defense hasn't shown really any improvement over the last couple of years, so if it doesn't take that jump this year, I think this is his last year. As they say, where there's smoke, there's fire. And certainly all these head coaches are on the hot seat. Another guy I would probably put in there as well is Ed Orgeron. It's tough to put him up there because, I mean, he just won a national championship a year prior to that. But last year, the team took a huge step back without Joe Burrow. And there are also some allegations that came out against Ed Orgeron as well. And that seems to also hang over his head. If he has another losing season, nobody remembers what you did a couple of years ago by winning that national championship, by, by having that magical run. I think Orgeron is another head coach that's, that's on the hot seat. The NFL. We've got some NFL topics on deck, and the first one we've got is we're going to talk about second-year NFL players, uh, guys that are going to break out this season. 
maybe guys that had their rookie season you know shortened because of injury or maybe they they came on you know in the second half of the season so I'm looking for those guys that are just going to break out in a major way not every rookie is like Justin Jefferson or CD Lamb you know guys that are just able to take the league by storm during their rookie season we're going to talk about those guys that are going to explode this year so go ahead Brandon give me a couple of names so my first guy is definitely Jerry Judy. Uh, Jerry Judy is somebody who I expected to have a better rookie season, but understanding the situations that were going on in Denver that last year, uh, I, I can understand why his season wasn't what we expected. He had a problem with the drops, and, you know, I want to say that's just uh, the rookie jitters. You lost Cortland Sutton, and so you're, you're a rookie coming into a quarterback dumpster fire pretty much. You're the number one receiver on the team. Can't expect him. You know, to go out and have, you know, 900 yards and seven touchdowns as a rookie. I just, I can't expect that without having a number one guy like Sutton. Like you and I have talked about in the last podcast, we think Bridgewater's probably getting that start at some point at least. And Bridgewater's a guy that's going to, he's going to get you the ball. It doesn't matter if it's four or five yards downfield. He's going to put the ball in your hands. And that I think that was just the biggest problem last year was Drew Locke taking, you know, big shots and always trying to make the magic play happen. But Bridgewater is a guy that's going to drive you down the field. He's going to find the open man. And Judy already in his second year is one of the most refined route runners in football. I, I don't want to say the player, but it was an elite corner that um, that said that Jerry Judy was one of the hardest players he's had to cover in his career. So that's a rookie. I, I don't think there's any reason for him not to break out. With Sutton coming back, you have a quarterback that knows how to get the ball in the playmaker's hands. You have another year under that system. Uh, I think I think Judy's primed for his breakout year. Here's my problem with Judy. Ever since he won that Bolitnikoff Award during his sophomore season at Alabama, as a junior, he was like the third or fourth option on that team behind like Henry Ruggs, behind Devontae Smith. He was not the main guy. And ever since he was drafted, you know, I think it was 15th overall by the Denver Broncos, he also kind of disappeared, kind of took his role. A lot of people expected him. I mean, with Cortland Sutton being down for the entire year, you would expect Judy to become the number one target. I don't care if he lines up outside or in the slot. It really doesn't matter. You make a good point. He is a terrific route runner. He creates separation. He's got those loose hips. He's able to, you know, get open. But the one thing, Brandon, that you got to do as a receiver is you have to catch the football. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that Jerry Judy has. His hands are average. I mean, he can make a great catch, and then he'll turn around and, and have like an easy drop right in his hands. And you can't do that. I mean, a quarterback depends on you. A quarterback is getting you the ball on third down, like say third and six. He expects you to get that first down. And it seems like Judy's hands let him down quite a bit during his rookie season. Yeah, I, I un totally understand where you're coming from. Uh, I think the drops, like watching a lot of Broncos games last year, a lot of the drops, like you said, were just those easy, simple, you know, six yards. You turn around, you catch it, tuck it to your chest. Like It's like you're playing catch in the backyard, and those were a lot of the ones he dropped. And it's kind of relieving to me that those are the ones he dropped because it almost makes me think that those are catches he's just overthinking, has to, you know, come into his own, hit the jugs machine a little bit. It's not... It's not the fact that he, you know, isn't getting open, isn't creating separation, so they're having to throw it into tight coverage. It's 
I almost think he's so open sometimes he's overthinking it and overcomplicating it. So if he can just relax, understand that you have a true number one receiver taking a lot of the attention away from you this year, um, I think it'll help him calm down a little bit, just get into his own, go with the groove of the game, and just start bringing the balls to his chest. He had 17% drop rate, which ranked as a bottom five mark in the league among receivers with at least 25 targets. So this isn't like a guy that just barely comes on the field. He's always on the field in those three wide receiver sets. And 17% drop rate? I mean, that's insane. I mean, the best wide receivers, they rarely drop the football. Yeah, you got to secure the ball. I mean, you see Justin Jefferson, you see CeeDee Lamb, and just those guys shine, and they rarely dropped the football last year during their rookie year. I mean, for a guy that was drafted that high, for a guy that was the second wide receiver selected in the draft completely behind his teammate Henry Ruggs, I mean, you, you got to stay after practice. you got to show up before practice. you gotta you got to work those jug machines and – you know, you just you got to catch like a extra hundred balls before and after practice in order to go there. I'm just not sure that Bridgewater is going to trust him. I, I think Sutton is still going to be the number one target, and Judy might get those limited targets. And you and I talked about this. Denver still wants to run the football with a good offensive line. I'm just not sure that you know they'll be able to to get enough balls in in Judy's direction. And that's why I have a tough time. Like I've seen him on the list before. You're not the only one that, that's putting him there. There are many people that believe Judy is going to explode, but just there are too many factors. The drop rate, not enough targets, and and the fact that this is still going to be an offense that, that's going to rely more on the running game, in my opinion, than, than those wide receivers. All right, continue. Who, who else is on your list? So this one hurts me as a Browns fan. I'm, I'm going with J.K. Dobbins. I think J.K. Dobbins has a legitimate chance to be one of the best running backs in football. Uh, last season, you know, you, you had to split a lot of carries with marking him. He got cut halfway through the season, but he was he was at one point that team's number one back. And then J.K. Dobbins took over the second half, and he had 650 rushing yards after week eight. That's with Gus Edwards getting, a, you know, a handful of carries and Lamar t- like taking it down to run for himself. I think with his higher workload coming into the season – and you're in one of the heaviest running teams in the league. And last season, his yards per carry was like slightly over six yards, which which is incredibly, incredibly, incredibly impressive. I think it was one of the highest in the league. So I think with his higher workload, he's now that team's true number one running back. He's going to be getting probably 10 more carries a game than he was last season. Uh, I don't think there's any reason he doesn't crack, you know, maybe even 1,200 yards this year. Yeah, I love J.K. Dobbins. I loved him coming out from Ohio State and when he was taken by the Ravens. You know, they kind of split his carries. They they took it easy on him in the beginning, but I just I can't see how he's not going to be the the bell cow this season. So I think that that's an excellent choice, Brandon. Uh, anybody else you got? One guy that you know I just I had to throw him on here for my boys, uh, Donovan Peoples Jones. Uh, I, I think this season, you know, you resigned Rashad Higgins. I think that's just for a confidence booster for Mayfield. That's that's one of his best chemistry guys. But Donovan Peoples-Jones last season was technically one of the most explosive receivers in football. 
Uh, it was just due to his low targets that his numbers weren't better. But his, his yards per catch was, was over 21 yards. You know, he's shown that he, he can be that go-to guy catching a game-winning drive, uh, touchdown pass. You know, he had that 75-yard uh, touchdown against the Titans where he just gained insane separation. Uh, his route running, is it's gotten better each game. He's a guy that's going to see a lot more play time. And I, I think Donovan Peoples-Jones is slowly, towards the back half of the season, turned into one of Baker's favorite uh, go-to targets on the third down and such. He's just he's got incredibly reliable hands. I, I haven't seen, you know, he's not the most physical guy. There's nothing about him that really makes you go, like, wow, this this guy is going to tear me apart because of his physicality. He's a student of the game. You can, you can tell he works on his route running. Um, you can tell he actually actively is trying to make himself a better football player. And this season, you know, they've said that he's going to he's gonna get a bigger role in this offense. So I think with a higher workload, he's, his numbers will, will look like a solid number two receiver. Why do you think he's going to get a higher workload out there? I mean, you've got OBJ back. You still have Jarvis Landry. You re-signed Richard Higgins, and you know that he's going to be higher on the depth chart. The Browns still going to rely on the running game for the most part. So Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to be like a fourth wide receiver on this team. I mean, how can he get enough targets to even be relevant? It, it took him a while in the this season to actually even really see the field. He was kind of a guy you'd bring on, you know, for your four receiver sets and you know, he, he really wasn't seeing the field often, but, you know, he came out of that Bengals game and kind of showed who he really was. So um, he was starting to take over. You know, him and Higgins were switching out a lot more than they were at the beginning of the season. And Baker just showed a lot of confidence in him. So, you know, he may be a, technically a number three or four on the depth chart, but I think when it comes to having receiver sets, he's going to be on the field, you know, I, I think more than Rashard Higgins. All right, fair enough. I mean, I guess that that's something that we're going to keep an eye on in the 2021 season. I mean, it's one thing if they shipped OBJ, and then I could believe it, that they would promote him. But it's it's going to be tough to get on the field. And you know that the Browns aren't going to line up with four or five wide receivers out there. This isn't like the Arizona Cardinals. This is still going to be, you know, line up in the I formation, just pound the football, have like two, three wide receivers out there. I'll keep an eye on it during this season, and then we'll see what happens. All right, I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach. Obviously, you went with positional players, and rightfully so, you know, running back and two wide receivers, and those are the guys that are going to catch the ball and score touchdowns. But I'm going to go with the left tackle that I thought had a very, very tough rookie season especially in the first half of the season. And that's Andrew Thomas from the New York Giants. Um, they put him in there right away, and he went through his growing pains. But it was a tale of two halves because in the second half of the season, he really improved his pass blocking grade from like week eight, week nine. And every week he kept getting better. It makes me think that those are the early growing pains that Andrew Thomas went through. Uh, he struggled against some elite pass rushers, but he got over it. He decreased his pressure rate, and I expect Andrew Thomas to take a step up. I'm not saying he's going to turn into an elite left tackle, but I think he's going to turn into a very good left tackle. I just think in his second year, he's going to be a lot more comfortable in that system. He's still going to be protecting the blind side of Daniel Jones. Andrew Thomas is an offensive tackle to keep an eye on. And then I'll go with a Saints 
tight end. His name is Adam Troutman. You know, this guy, once he got more playing time in the second half of the season, he was able to deliver some high enough grades. I mean, this guy catches everything that's thrown his way. He's also a solid blocker. You know, the Saints don't have a lot of weapons on offense. They've got Kamara. They've got Michael Thomas coming back. But they need another guy that will be able to become that security blanket for either Winston or Taysom Hill. And I just think Adam Troutman is going to be that security blanket over the middle of the field. So keep an eye on this talented tight end. And I'm going to go with another guy from the AFC North division, a guy that went down with an injury in November with the left knee injury, a guy that was having a good season. So you could say maybe he already had his breakout season, but I feel like he could take his game even further. And that's Joe Burrow, the number one overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft, uh, a guy that showed a lot of promise, a guy that made good decisions, a guy that was really accurate on short and intermediate throws. They've got the weapons around him. They've got T. Higgins. They've got Tyler Boyd. They've got Mixon. They drafted Jamar Chase. So the sky's the limit for Joe Burrow. If he's healthy, it seems like he is going to be. I mean, this guy is, is going to take his game up even further, take it up a notch. So watch out. Those AFC North defenses should be scared. I know it's still the Bengals, but, you know, the Browns, the Ravens, the Steelers, uh, you know, the Bengals are coming, and a lot of it has to do with, you know, that, that quarterback under center, Joe Burrow. My one concern with Joe Burrow is uh, I, I really do love the pieces you have around him. You have you really you have an an incredibly talented young offense and guys around him pieces, but still nervous about that offensive line. You know that's the offensive line was the reason he you know got beat up last year and had to go leave the season early due to a knee injury. And while he was playing, he was one of the most pressured quarterbacks in football. He really didn't do much to, to bolster that offensive line this offseason. You know, you're hoping that with time and coaching that this, this line can come together into their own, you know, and at least be somewhat better. But that, that's my big concern for Burrow. I think that he's got the weapons around him. He's got the skill set. He just needs time in the pocket. You needed to address that offensive line in the draft, and I think – most people, most pundits, like myself, like Ed, were screaming for them to take a left tackle to protect Joe Burrow, right? And they decided to go roll with Jamar Chase, his former teammate at LSU. And I always say, I mean, we're not going to get into this, whether Jamar Chase is, is going to be a good wide receiver or not. But the truth is, it's really risky to take a wide receiver in the top 10. And it's a lot safer to take an offensive tackle in the top five, in the top 10, just because those guys usually work out a lot, a lot better than those wide receivers. I feel like you can find pass catchers on day two, on day three. And uh, it seems like the Bengals went against the grain. I thought that they were going to go with uh, Panay Sewell at left tackle. I thought that was, should have been their choice, but uh they decided to give another weapon to Joe Burrow, and, and we do know how that Super Bowl turned out you know, with Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in football, not having the left tackle, not having the right tackle. He was running for his life. You would think that's like the blueprint, once again, for NFL teams. It's like, wake up. You need to have a good offensive line in order to succeed. 
especially in this division where you have the Ravens defense, where you have the Cleveland Browns defense, who might be arguably the best defense in football, and then you still have the Steelers defense, and it's really tricky. I mean, you've got like a couple of 3-4 defenses, and then you've got like the dime defense. I mean, the Browns are going to run like a 4-2-5 this year, right? Yep. You're going to see different looks, and it's just that was a really curious decision by the Bengals front office because how are you going to get the ball to your playmakers when, when Joe Burrow is going to be on his back most of the time? Yeah, I agree. Like, you know, I can understand, you know, you taking uh, Jamar Chase, college teammates and yeah, but you know, like you said, Penny Sewell is, you know, he was, it's very, very rare that you are so sold on a guy that's going to be good in the league. And Penny Sewell is just one of those guys where, you can't help but just feel like he's going to be elite at his position. He's sitting right there in your lap, and like you said, you, you always have a chance to get elite pass catchers in rounds two and three, and I, I, can't, I can't comprehend like why they didn't take Sewell. It, it's just so much of a harder position to come by. Even in free agency, you, you can get a solid number two receiver, you know? I don't think that you know drafting Chase is going to be the thing that takes the Bengals over the edge. That offense can't come into full effect until that line is present. So uh, I, I still am questioning that pick by them, but you know, you know, we'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah, we'll see how that works out for the Bengals. And again, you would think with Burrow coming back from a tough injury, from an ACL injury, that the Bengals would be smart to do this. But unfortunately, they they went against the grain, and I hope you know Jamar Chase is going to score another you know, 20 touchdowns during next season, and then everything will be forgotten. Let's talk about young NFL quarterbacks that you would build your franchise around. We're going to cheat a little bit. We're going to talk about guys who are 24 years or younger, and that excludes guys like Josh Allen, who's 25. That excludes Patrick Mahomes, who's 25. It's a really short list. It's a really short group of quarterbacks who are you going to roll with who is your quarterback under 24 years or younger to, to start with you know in my eyes i think there's two guys you can really pick from and that's that's joe burrow and justin herbert personally i i love justin herbert's game so i'm gonna have to go with justin herbert justin herbert looks like he was built in a lab for starters it's just that's a prototypical quarterback build you can't you can't create him better than that one thing that you just gotta love about herbert is his ability to be ready and being able to throw him into the fire. Uh, you know, this season, he found out he was going to be the starting quarterback, what, five minutes before kickoff? They, they told him on the sideline while they were warming up, hey, you're going you're to be our starting quarterback. So you throw him into the fire, and he looks like he's been training for this the entire year. It looks like he's been ready for this moment his whole life. You know, he's a guy that's always going to be prepared, whether he needs to be or not, wants to be ready, wants himself to be great. And just seeing some of the throws he's making in his rookie season, it's mind-boggling. I mean, there's throws where it's it's Patrick Mahomes-esque. I really I don't think it's a stretch to say he has one of the most talented arms in the league. Um, I remember that game against the against the Buccaneers. I want to say it was the second game of his career. He threw he threw the ball 70 yards through the air on with his feet plant. Like he makes throws that look like they should be in movies. They didn't win very many games. That's just kind of just the Chargers thing, though. I feel like a lot of the wins you can't, or a lot of the losses you can't place on Herbert. That defense blew a lot of games in the last second in the classic Chargers way, missed field goals, and 
you know, just the Chargers doing Chargers things. But I think Justin Herbert is a very, very rare talent. You don't, you can't build or coach arm talent like that. You can't coach a guy to be that ready to throw him in the fire when he's expecting to be a backup and sitting on the bench and go in and just tear the league apart. You know, you broke the great Baker Mayfield and Russell Wilson's rookie touchdown record by like four touchdowns. It's, it's not a small number. That's, that's almost two games probably. He had 10 games with multiple touchdowns. There's just, I don't see why, how you could choose anybody other than Herbert or Burrow. I love Joe Burrow. I already put him on my list where he's going to break out as a second-year player, but I'm going to agree with you. I, Justin Herbert has got to be the pick uh, just based on what he did during his rookie season. He was the offensive rookie of the year last year. He threw for over 4,000 yards and 15 starts. He threw for 3,300 yards uh, for a total of 31 touchdowns to break the NFL record like you mentioned. You know, he is, what, 22 years old? I mean, the sky is the limit. Uh, obviously, they changed the coaching staff now, and he's got the weapons, and he can do it all, man. I mean, it's it's amazing that he wasn't the starter early on because Anthony Lynn was so on board with Tyrod Taylor. I mean, that seems to be his guy that he would go to war with, but it's tough to deny Justin Herbert just in general. Just You, you see... You see his arm talent. You see his ability to read the field. You see his ability to go through his progressions. He's accurate. He's also athletic. He, he can run with the football as well. So he's not just a stationary quarterback back there like, like Dan Marino. Again, as much as it pains me, I love Joe Burrow, and Burrow was the number one overall pick, but Justin Herbert has got to be it. But it seems like we're forgetting about running quarterbacks, though. Aren't we? I mean... Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, I mean, they fit into this description. Jackson is 24, Murray is 23, the dual threat quarterbacks. The league keeps telling us that it's a different breed of quarterback, right? I mean, you you got to work outside of the structure. You have to run with the football. And these guys obviously do an incredible job buying time in the pocket, picking up yards with their feet. Seems like we're forgetting about Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson a bit. So my only reason I want to stay away from them, and no discredit to them, they're, they're incredibly talented players in their own right, but I feel like with a guy like Justin Herbert, you could put him into so many different like situations and systems, and he would thrive. But meanwhile, a guy like Lamar Jackson, you almost have to develop a system for him and create that, and that's exactly what the Ravens did, which I, you know, I totally understand why wouldn't you create a system that's gonna you know bring out his his talents to the fullest but I just I think it's it's so much like Herbert is a guy you could plug in a lot of different situations and he would still thrive and you know even Murray is a guy that he's talented like his talent's out of this world but I just I can't see him thriving in any system you know he's in somewhat of an ugly system right now with Cliff Kingsbury and it, you know, it's it's almost somewhat holding him back a bit. We saw Herbert in, you know, kind of not that great of a coaching system, and he still was thriving. It's, it's just so much easier to plug in a guy like Herbert than to, you know, find this running quarterback and almost develop a, you know, or add new aspects to this system. You know, I'm high on Herbert. You're extremely high on Justin Herbert. I mean, is, do you think he's the second coming of Dan Marino or John Elway? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if I want to go that far because 
you know, John Elway, what he he was a winner at least. You know, he brought them to a lot of Super Bowls, lost those Super Bowls, but you know, he was he was winning football games. And uh, until Herbert, you know, shows that he can be the you know the sole reason that Chargers are winning football games, I don't I don't want to put him on that level. I mean, talent wise, though, what we've seen from him as a rookie, I, I don't know if I can name any rookies that showed that much talent. And you you know you were that positive that this guy had was special. You know, you always have those guys where you know, they can break out. But Herbert Herbert looked like he's been in the league for four years, and, you know, he had a career year. I only see him getting better. I, I want to hold off before I, you know, put him up there with those greats. But, I mean, he's, he's at a great start for it right now. Well, let's hope that he doesn't get into this sophomore slump. It happens every year. You know, a talented rookie quarterback comes in. You know, it's a new system. It's a new coaching staff. And, He's having a little bit of a sophomore slump. We're hoping that Justin Herbert is going to be able to avoid it. But the sky is the limit uh, for Herbert, for Burrow. It was a talented quarterback draft. We wish them well in, in the new systems or for Justin Herbert in the new system with the Chargers. Hopefully they're able to get into the playoffs this year, and therefore we'll, we'll see the young signal caller you know, play against some elite defenses out there. Thank you for listening to another episode of Blitzcast. I'm Alex. He's Brandon. Take care, everyone.